Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is taken from Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The second reading is from John's Gospel, John 17, 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This week, I was walking the dog out in the park, and I just had one of those moments. There were children sledging over there, and there were pairs of adults chatting over there, and people were walking by, sipping takeaway hot drinks. There was a a buzz and energy about the place, and as the sounds of laughter and fun filled the air for just a moment, it looked as if life was normal. But appearances can be deceptive. Life is not normal. According to a survey published this week, 48% of adults feel like they are not coping with life at the moment. Behind the smiles and laughter of that moment in the park, many stories of brokenness and despair, loneliness, as we battle our way through this pandemic, appearances can be deceptive. It was true in the park this week, but also true as we begin our series in John's Gospel. Between now and Easter, we look at that part of the life of Jesus where more than any other part of his life, appearances can be deceptive. Verse 1 sets the scene for us. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Ever since chapter 2 of John's gospel, Jesus has been talking about this hour. 
His whole earthly life has been building up to this moment in time called the hour. In John 12, Jesus confirmed that this hour would be the hour of his death. From John 13, he's been sharing a final meal with his disciples. He's been teaching them about how to live after he is gone. But now, John 17, verse 1, the hour has come. If we had been there 2,000 years ago, and if we had been able to watch the events about to take place in the life of Jesus, what would we have seen? Well, we'll see in the coming weeks. We would have seen Jesus arrested and put on trial and condemned. We would see him being mocked and beaten and scorned, abandoned by his closest friends. And then we would see him crucified and killed on a Roman cross. By almost every human standard we could think of, this hour will look like a total disaster. The end, defeat, but appearances can be deceptive. John 17 is one big long prayer. It's so rich and deep, we'll spend three weeks working our way through it. But in this prayer, as Jesus pours out his heart to his heavenly Father, we get a lens through which to look at this hour and to understand what is really going on. Jesus prays out loud publicly before his disciples so that they and we today can understand through this lens what is really going on. And so as the hour arrives, what do we see? Well, two points for us this morning. First, the hour reveals God's glory. Verse one again. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus is asking his father to bring about the events necessary for the cross to happen. And that alone is, is shocking enough. But that Jesus would see that this plan, this hour is the hour of glory, well, it really is quite extraordinary. When it comes to moments in the Bible that reveal God's glory, we are rather spoilt for choice. For example, in that first reading from Exodus 33, Moses asked to see God's glory, and he wasn't able to see the Lord face to face. He, he was hid in a cleft in the rock. The Lord passed by. Moses just saw the back of the Lord as he, he, as he passed by, just a glimpse, and that glimpse alone was enough to make his face shine so brightly the people down at the camp were scared of him. Or in John's gospel, in John chapter two, he revealed God's glory, Jesus, by turning hundreds of liters of water into wine. Later on in John 11, when he raised dead Lazarus back to life again, again, Jesus revealed God's glory. If we're new to Christian things, why not read through John's gospel and look for all the ways in which Jesus reveals God's glory to us? But the supreme 
revelation of God's glory in Jesus is seen at this hour. There is a cross hanging up on the wall behind me. Many Christians wear a cross around their neck on a chain. The cross is something of a, of a symbol, a summary of the Christian faith. And yet let us not forget that the cross is a brutal reminder of an execution. To wear a cross is like wearing a guillotine or a hangman's noose. From, from one perspective, it, it feels off color, morbid, disgusting even. But appearances can be deceptive. John 17 is giving us a lens through which to look at this hour to understand what is really going on. The hour reveals God's glory. In part because this prayer shows us the cross was not an accident. Some people think that Jesus was some well-meaning hero who got out of his depth and paid the price for it with his life. But not so. By praying this prayer before the hour, Jesus is showing us that he knew exactly what was to come. It was all part of a plan that he was aware of. But more than that, as he prays to his heavenly Father for this hour to come, he is actually praying the plan into reality. He is responsible for this hour taking place. But more than that, the hour reveals God's glory when we see who it is who will die on the cross. It's no accident that Jesus, verse 1, calls God his Father and he calls himself the Son. We could spend a whole sermon thinking about just this one thought. The God revealed to us in the scriptures is, is one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. In the previous chapter, John 16, Jesus talked about the great work of the Spirit in the world today. But in John 17, his focus is on the Father and the Son. Who is the Son? Well, look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. From eternity past, the Son has always been with the Father at his side, sharing unhindered access to the Father in the seat of ultimate glory. But in the incarnation, the Son left heaven. He took on a human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God-man. There are lots of people in this world who have many impressive titles, but only Jesus can call himself the Son. Look at what verse 2 says about the Son. For you granted him authority over all people. There are lots of people in this world with authority. Think of a teacher in a classroom or a boss in the office. Our prime minister has some kind of authority over everyone in this nation. But no one has the authority of the Son. An authority over all people. Every person alive now and every person who has ever lived 
He is not just a king. He is the king of kings. Well, look at verse four. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. How many of us have made resolutions during this lockdown? A new diet, to spring clean the house, or to be a nicer person, but I wonder how many of us have kept our own resolutions perfectly. But Jesus, he has finished the work his father gave him to do. Complete and perfect obedience. If we've been Christians a little while, I think it's possible to become over-familiar with the shock of these verses. When it comes to any worldly idea of glory, Jesus has it all. Status the son, power all authority, morality perfection, and yet he chose the cross. The very best of human leaders display something of this blend of greatness and sacrificial service. The boss at work who lays down their authority in order to serve others. The politician giving their lives in public service to make this country better for everyone. There's something inherently attractive about that kind of leadership. And in this hour, we see Jesus is the ultimate example of greatness blended with humble service. It is true this hour involves more than the death of Jesus. I say that because verse five, Jesus prays that his father would return him back up to glory, the place he had before his incarnation. This hour includes not just the cross, but also the empty tomb, the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. But the route to heavenly glory is by the cross. The hour reveals God's glory. As Jesus prays this in front of his disciples, in part, he is giving them an example to follow, just as he did at the beginning of the meal, back in John 13, as he washed their feet. And so too for us. We all have some kind of authority in this world, in our families, with the people we live with, in the office, in the sports team we are involved in. We all have authority, but how are we using it? This hour shows us the kind of glory God prizes is cross-shaped, sacrificial, putting the needs of others first. But the main reason this prayer is here is because appearances can be deceptive. We need this lens to show us what is really going on in this hour. This hour is a supreme revelation of God's glory. God is the Father who sends his Son to the cross, and God is the Son who willingly goes to the cross. Perhaps we are one of those 48% of the adults in this country feeling overwhelmed by life at the moment. Perhaps we are wondering, where is God? Does he care about us? Well, as we look at this hour through this lens, 
we see supremely the glory of God who does care, who does love, who went to extraordinary lengths for us. The hour reveals God's glory. But also, here's our second point. The hour secures eternal life. Imagine a person goes out and and buys a, a plot of land and then they go to an architect and they draw up some plans for a new house and then they go to the council and they secure planning permission for this new house. This person now has the plot, the plans and the permission for the house. But but having the authority to build the house is not the same as actually building the house. And that is something of what is going on here in John 17. Look at verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. At some point in eternity past, the Father gave to the Son the authority to grant eternal life to some. To use the analogy of the house, at that point, Jesus has the plot, the plans, and the permission But having the authority to grant eternal life is not the same as actually giving eternal life. And that is why Jesus prays for the hour to come in verse 1. This hour must come. Why? Well, verse 2 tells us the hour of the cross must happen because of this eternal arrangement between the Father and the Son. And as Jesus dies on the cross and is raised to resurrection life, This hour is not defeat or disaster. No, it is the moment when this great plan becomes a reality. The hour secures eternal life. It's tempting to stop there and to just rejoice in how the cross of Christ brings us forgiveness from our sins and certainty about life beyond the grave. And Of course, these are precious blessings secured for us through this hour. But but look at how the prayer continues. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Back in Genesis 3, following the first sin, humanity, well, we were cast out of God's presence. And at the end of the Bible, when Christ returns, we will be back in God's presence, seeing him face to face. The, the arc of the great storyline of the Bible is all about how we can know God and relate to him. It's more than how my sins can be forgiven or how I can have life after I die. They, they are a means to an end. The great end is that we can know God again and be in his presence forevermore. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism famously puts it, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. A summary very much at home here in John 17, verse 3. I wonder if this feels like a bit of an anticlimax. Perhaps we wouldn't dare say this out loud, but to hear that eternal life is about knowing God, 
perhaps other things feel more exciting, like being able to go skiing forever in the new creation or, or being able to eat chocolate forever and not put on weight or, or being a nicer person forever or having no tears again. These things might feel more exciting than the thought of knowing God forever. And look, I think it's helpful to acknowledge the struggle we are in. Ever since Genesis 3, we've been tempted by wrong views about God. We are tempted to see him as being less good, less loving, less wise, less powerful, less glorious than he really is. But look at what we're seeing in John 17. The goal is to know God. And we know God by looking at Jesus. And we most fully see the glory of Jesus by looking at this hour of his death and resurrection. This hour shows us just how loving and compassionate and kind and wise and sovereign God is. To know the God of this hour, well, he's well worth knowing. He will never disappoint. And so this hour secures eternal life, secures our knowledge of God. For these first disciples, Jesus was about to send them out into the world with what looks like such a weak message about a cross and an empty tomb. You'd forgive them for thinking, is this it? Can't we have a bit more power and glory to win over the hard hearts of a hating world? Well, this prayer gives them a lens to look through to understand this hour, to give them confidence in the news they are about to tell a hostile world. And for us today, as we think about our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, don't we long for them to come to know the Lord? What can we do? What can we say? We need to take them to this hour. Yes, appearances can be deceptive. Many will look at this hour and see only weakness. Many will mock us for it. But for others, as they come to see this hour through the lens of John's gospel, they will discover God. They will see his glory. They will find eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of this hour, for the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. Give us great confidence in who you are and in what this glorious hour achieved for us. In Jesus' name, amen.